as I was prepping for this message, and I'm, I'm hoping to keep it quite short, but I, I kind of must be honest and vulnerable to think, like, there was something about going through this, and this it's our Christmas message again, you know? And we're sharing of the birth of Jesus again, and it, and it felt almost a little bit monotonous, and, and I kind of came into it with my eyes maybe a little bit blurred at the significance of the story because it's a story I've heard so many times before. And, and I think it's been a hard year. It's been, it's been a year that um, I wouldn't like to repeat anytime soon. And, and I think my, my head was probably not in the best of spaces when I was prepping this message. And as I started to read through the word, I tell you, there was such a shift in my heart and I, and I felt such a conviction as to how relevant the story is and how precious and powerful it is and how it establishes so much of who we are. And we'll look at the context in which the birth of Jesus occurred, but, but his voice had been silent for a long, long time. I think it was 400 years that, that the Israelites had not heard the voice of God. And in the, the first song, it says, I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in the darkest nights. You are close like no other. And you would know, at that time, there was a desperation for the Messiah to come. But they had not heard a thing. The people had been sitting in almost this sense of radio silence. And here we get to sing, I love your voice. We don't have to be distant from God. We get to sing that you are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. For the Israelites at that time, they did not know him as a father. They did not know him as a friend. They were waiting eagerly for something of restoration to take place in their relationship. In the second song, we started to sing, But now my eyes have seen, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy to be praised. And we'll see that when Jesus arrives on the scene, it's the first perspective that anyone has, is you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy to be praised. And then in the final song, it says, this is our story, this is our song, praising our Savior all day long. This is our story, this is our song. And what I realized is as I was going through this passage of Scripture, and there's a couple of different um, times where in the Gospels it talks about the, the birth of Jesus, I realized that this is not his story, this is our story. And we were grafted into the story and we, we have such an incredible part to play and we have such a privilege of being grafted into the story. And, and if we can kind of just align our hearts in terms of this, that this is relevant, that we do get to hear the gentleness of his whisper and that this is our story, that we get the privilege of being a part of and what a privilege it is. Dale, thank you for, for leading us so beautifully this morning. Um, it was such a sweet time of worship. And, and what, a, what an incredible thing it is to worship together. Now, they often say, we, we've got to remember the reason for the season. And it, it's, a, it's a catchy little phrase, but, but there's such truth and such weight in that. And this morning, we honor our King. And we are so grateful that not only did He... Did he arrive on earth? Did he get born into this place? 
we're not only grateful that he died and he, he chose to do that for us, but we are so grateful that he is alive, he is well, and he is ever present, and he is ruling, and he is reigning. And that's a great thing for us. So Luke, from verse 1, I mean Luke 1 from verse 26 to 38, the, the heading of this is the birth of Jesus foretold. And this is the story from Mary's perspective. And it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. It's amazing when you, you go through the, the genealogy, that the two books that talk about the birth of Jesus are the two books that speak about the genealogy of Jesus in, in, in Matthew and Luke. And in, in Matthew, it talks about the genealogy, and, it, and one of them talks about it from the perspective of the son, the son of this, the son of this, the son of this, and it tracks Jesus through to David. And on the other one, it speaks of the father, and it says this was the father of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, and it tracks the genealogy of Jesus to David. And this is important because this was to fulfill prophecy to say that Jesus came from, from the line of David, but it also speaks of the significance of the son and the father and that relationship. So it says, um, she was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. It's amazing for us when we get called by God, there's a favor that comes with it, and his presence comes with it too. O favored one, the Lord is with you. The angel is establishing the fact that the call is coming, but understand that this call comes out of a place of favor and my presence will not depart from you. I think for us that's an incredibly special thing because what we've realized is that the call of God is never in the realm of our possibility because if it was, we would be able to get glory ourselves. But God always calls us outside of the realm of our possibility into the realm of his possibility, so he's the one that's glorified. It says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. An incredible promise. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. It's amazing, even in this place, the angel is speaking faith statements over Mary, knowing that she will require these faith statements to step out and to, to walk with boldness. So he, he tells her about the fact that, that her aunt Elizabeth is six months pregnant, knowing that Elizabeth is barren. He tells her that nothing is impossible with God. So he's given her this promise, but this promise makes no sense in earthly context. And in verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me 
according to your word. Incredible um, response from this lady. And it shows the character and the faith that she has. And at that point, the angel departed from her. If we read through Matthew 1 from verse 18 to 25, we see the same story, but now it's told from Joseph's perspective. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Once again, immediate faith response to the call upon their lives. In Luke 2, from verse 1 to 20, we read about the birth of Jesus, and it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. That was the first registration when Cornelius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. It's amazing how the word confirms and keeps confirming who Joseph was. When the angel speaks to him, it says, Joseph, son of David. When the angel speaks to, to Mary, it talks about the fact that David is of the lineage of David. And here, once again, we see that he is going to Bethlehem because he is of the lineage of David. It says, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. Remember, the firstborn son was the one who was destined to take hold of inheritance. I often say the privilege that we have as Christians is we don't just get called to be sons and daughters. Our new identity is that of firstborn son because in Romans 8 it says we become co-heirs with Christ. We get to share in his birthright. And here it speaks of the fact that Jesus' birthright was he was her firstborn son. And wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And then we read from verse 8. And this is the story from the shepherd's perspective. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. 
Even the manger was no coincidence. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made the saying, they made known this, the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So I want to share a few points on this. But what we see, first and foremost, is that there was a plan. And it wasn't just any ordinary plan, but it was a divine plan. If you read through uh, the other part of Matthew, when you see Herod's response, because it talks about the wise men going through to Herod first, and him hearing about the fact that the Savior is coming, and he refers to Jesus as the Christ. He starts to plot a way to thwart the plan of God. So the plan is that Jesus, fully God, was to be born fully man, and then to die so that he can reign forever, and that death, Sin and the enemy can be defeated once and for all. This was the plan of God. In Luke 1.32 it says, He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Matthew 6 says, Seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and all this will be added unto you. We've got to be a people who understand that his kingdom has no end, and he is currently reigning. Although the enemy has dominion here on earth at the moment, and bad things happen, our king reigns, and there is no end to his kingdom. Jesus was born with absolute humility. The manger was not a coincidence. All odds on earth were against him. But all of heaven was for him. There was a war to come against this plan. Even as a baby, his very presence incited praise for those who longed for him and fear for those who dreaded him. There is no doubt that his power and authority was already evident. You look at the, the, the shepherds coming into his presence and immediately they fell down and began to worship. This was God's perfect plan, and heaven had been waiting with eager anticipation that once the plan began to unfold, heaven celebrated. And suddenly there was, with, uh, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. The moment this plan started to unfold, heaven erupted and started to celebrate, for they knew that this was the time that they had been waiting for. There was a plan, and it wasn't just any ordinary plan. It was a divinely orchestrated one that awaited an appointed time, a moment in history for this to take place. And this plan ticked every single box and fulfilled 
every single prophecy that points us to Jesus as Messiah, to Jesus as Lord, and establishes his kingdom. Second to the plan, there were people. And the incredible thing is that the people includes everyone, even you and I. Because I said, this is our story. It's not just his story. In Luke 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. He's not just a Savior. He is the Lord and His kingdom will continue to reign. For this plan to unfold, it required participation is the third one. And we see the outworking of this in Mary, Joseph, and the shepherds. Both Mary and Joseph were uncertain of the outworking of this plan, but they were willing to believe and felt privileged to be a part of it. It's amazing, we often sit in uncertainty and we say, Lord, we know there's a plan, we know you've got promises, we know you've been called to something, but we're not sure how it unfolds. And he's just saying, I want you to be willing to believe and feel the privilege to be a part of it. Even in the midst of it, Mary relied on prophetic reassurance to hold on to. But she remained faithful throughout. The shepherds were the first witnesses of the birth of Jesus. The first to fall to their knees and praise Him. Even as a baby. It makes no sense in the earthly context for them to walk into, a, uh, into this little barn. There there's this manger where, where this baby is. And the moment they saw Him, they fell to their knees and began to worship. But what else did the shepherds do? It says there, And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. The reality is it wasn't for their benefit. It goes on to say in verse 19, But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She needed the prophetic confirmation of the shepherds to give her some kind of faith to continue to persevere. You know, Shanae and I, we have a, a, a little document that we, we type out every year called What is God Saying? And every January we start a new one and we're going to start a new one in a couple of weeks' time for 2023. But what we do is we compile every prophetic word that we get, every encouragement, every promise that we feel God's giving us, and we write it down. It's a working document that we share, and we'll put a date to it, who gave us the word, whether it, we've picked it up in our quiet time, or what it is. And when times are tough, and we feel that we have no faith to persevere, Shanae often is the one that initiates it, which is incredible with that, but she'll go and say, let's read through what is God saying. Because we love his voice. And sometimes, in the midst of the chaos of life, we feel, Lord, where is your voice? But what we do is we read them, and the prophetic words stir a faith within us that gives us a capacity to persevere. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. I just love that, that scripture because it speaks of something of holding on to the promises of God, because for her, this was massive. Can you imagine having this angel appear to you and say, you're about to be the mother of the Messiah. This is the whole Israelite community 
had been waiting for this moment and they chose this lady who was favored and says, oh, by the way, you're going to be the one to usher the Savior in. The weight of that responsibility must have been overwhelming. But God sent her people to reassure her and give her promises that they too had heard. And those promises brought a supernatural confirmation that stirred her faith and gave her the ability to continue. The fourth one is there was a purpose. And the purpose was for Jesus to save us from sin so as to restore us to the Father. Sin was the chasm that prevented us from crossing and getting to the Father. And watching a documentary on Everest and an earthquake in Everest, and they show some of the climbing, and you see, in, especially the first little bit of it, which is the most dangerous part of the climb, from base camp up to, to, to camp one, is this, this kind of ice passage, and in it are these giant chasms, and what they do is they, they take ladders, and they, they tie ladders together, and you walk across these chasms, kind of navigating with a, with a piece of rope on either side, as you cross over these, these giant ice crevices that drop hundreds of, of feet down. And sin was the, the, the crevice that we had to cross because that was the thing that was hindering us from the presence of God. And Jesus came and he lay himself across that gap and said, I will make it possible to come into his presence. It says in Matthew 1.21, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And lastly, there was a perspective. And we already read, we read the story from Mary's perspective, we read the story from Joseph's perspective, we read the story from the shepherd's perspective. And I think it's quite fitting that even in the Word, we got so many different perspectives of how the story untold, uh, unfolded, and, and not one of them contradicted the other. But my question to us this morning is, how do we perceive our lives through this story? It's our story. And, and how do we perceive our lives? And, and for me, some of the points that I made were, when we feel hopeless, facing immense opposition, and we feel that it is impossible for our circumstances to change, remember that Jesus is God of the impossible. There was no earthly way for his plan to succeed, yet it was impossible to fail. So when we feel that there is no earthly way for our plans to succeed, if they are in accordance with His will, they are impossible to fail. 1 John 5 says, and, and we ask with confidence, see, whatever we... we uh, try and think of how it worded. Um, confidence. We have the confidence. Whatever we ask for in accordance with His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, we know that we've received what we've asked for. The confidence to ask in accordance with His will. If His plans are in place, irrespective of any earthly opposition, even spiritual opposition where there's a war in the heavenlies, it's impossible for those plans to fail. The second thing is worshipping and glorifying Jesus in His presence changes everything. That's an absolute game changer. When we enter His presence... And we spend time worshipping Him and glorifying Him and praising Him and honoring Him for He is incredible and worthy to be praised. It's amazing 
how our circumstances don't change, but we do, and we're ready to face it. The third one is we have to hold on to prophetic encouragement for reviewing these promises will bring life when you feel you have no faith to continue. Let's not take these things lightly. Let us go back and look at them. Remember Emmanuel a little while ago was sharing with me how, um, an email that he received years ago. And just as he was on this journey, Something brought him back to that. I mean, five years? Yeah. Seven years ago? But something in this season brought him back to that email because there was a prophetic encouragement that was required in this season. Luke one thirty eight, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. If we live like this, we will never be disappointed. If this is our attitude, if this is our heart towards the things of God, behold, I am your servant, Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. As you have spoken, so we believe. I tell you, we will never be disappointed. It doesn't mean that we won't face opposition. It doesn't mean that we won't face trials and struggles here because that's part of what we have to deal with. Fortunately, those are temporary and we, we one day will step into the fullness of eternity and those things will fall away and they will be no more. But even here, if that's our heart, we cannot help but be successful in the things that God has called us to. And lastly, we need to give our lives to Jesus. Let Him have full reign for He purposely, purposefully died that we might have life and life in abundance. Jesus didn't die by accident. This was his perfect plan. For he knew that this was the only ladder long enough to stretch from one side of the chasm to the other. This life comes with a new identity, eternal access to his presence, and a hope that will carry us all the days of our lives. I love your voice. You have led me through the fire in the darkest night. You are close like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of God. Lord Jesus, I pray for us now, Father, that we will have such an incredible understanding of who you are. I thank you for this story. I thank you for the life that it brings. And I pray for each one of us, even as we go through and we ponder this day, that we will receive fresh revelation of who you are, fresh revelation of your authority, your power, fresh revelation of the fact that your kingdom manifests and your kingdom reigns and your kingdom will not come to an end. I pray today that we will have a, just a, like an insurgence of faith and capacity and, and passion and zeal for the things that are to come. And Lord, may your hope abound in us this morning. I thank you for family. I thank you for friends, Lord Jesus. I thank you for the ability to gather and worship you. May you be glorified today. May you be high and lifted up. And may you bless our time together. May you bless our meals that we have today. 
In Jesus' mighty name I pray. Thank you, King. Amen.